Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, as leaders and as individuals in your career, you're confronted with choices every day. Sometimes I think people are not as conscious of those choices as they need to be, and they don't actually look at their options as carefully as they need to be. And I'm often asked by leaders, how do I know if it's the right choice? I don't think there's a way to know if it's a right or wrong choice. I think you just make a choice and you see what happens as a result. But I do believe we could get smarter at looking at the choices we make, particularly when you think about how do you make choices that are going to increase your impact and keep you out of quicksand, but more on that in a moment. That's what we're going to focus on today, four choices that increase your impact as a leader. Now, my guest today is Mark Miller, and Mark Miller is a high-impact leadership expert, a seasoned business leader, a best-selling author, and a communicator. Mark started his Chick-fil-A career as an hourly team member, I won't say what year, but not too long ago. And today, he's the firm's vice president of high-performance leadership. And he began writing 20 years ago and just released Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. By the way, that's his 10th book. With over a million books in print now in more than 25 languages, needless to say, the impact continues to grow. Um, and he, Mark spends his time equipping and encouraging leaders in dozens of countries over numerous organizations. So you can learn more about Mark at markmillerleadership.com or check him out on LinkedIn at High Performance Leaders. So Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. And that was very kind of you. Uh, I tell people it was 1970-something is, <laughs> is how I define my beginning with Chick-fil-A. It's been a fantastic journey. Now, over four decades selling four decades chicken. Well. Selling chicken. More than selling chicken. Selling chicken sandwich, selling chicken meals, selling picnics, selling a whole range of things. And those of you who've ever eaten at Chick-fil-A will appreciate why it might be a really good place to check out. But let's, I'm not here to advertise Chick-fil-A. I'm here to talk about leadership. So what you've written, Tim, this is your 10th book. Why this book? What's the problem you were seeing that you thought needed to be addressed? Well, this book, like all the others, is our attempt to identify current and emerging needs that we see rampant in the leadership community. And pre-COVID, we began to notice that more and more leaders were struggling. It just seemed to be harder than ever. Of course, none of us knew what was about to happen with the pandemic. I would argue that the timing of this book is perfect because COVID didn't invent most of the problems that leaders had to deal with, but I do think it accelerated them and it intensified them and it made it much more personal. And so we were just trying to figure out how do we help leaders deal with all of the things that are encumbering their effectiveness uh, that, again, we saw highlighted during COVID. Okay. And those things, I mean, I know you talk about the four choices and we're going to get to those in a minute, but what kind of things were you seeing was encumbering people's effectiveness? 
Well, it was it was a long list. We we saw um, competing priorities. We saw busyness. We saw con- uh, uh, complexity and distractions. And interesting, as soon as we started sharing some of those back with our leaders, because we did a lot of interviews, tried to pay attention, and and began to say, "Hey, these are some of the things we're seeing." It may have been the very first leader we interviewed. It was one of the first when we shared that that list and a few others. This leader said, well, I understand all of that, but that's not my problem. And I remember saying, well, is there anything impeding your effectiveness as a leader? And he said, sure, several things, but none of the stuff on your list. And I said, well, what's on your list? And he said, fear, fatigue, aimlessness. And he said, if I'm honest, even success is impeding my future success. So we said, what do we do with all that? Well, we just lumped it with the busyness, the complexity, the distraction, the competing priorities. And we said, it's all quicksand. Mm-hmm. Just every leader, depending on the season of the, their life in which they find themselves, they may be confronted with a different blend or a different mix. But the issue is it's, it's always toxic. It mm-hmm. always keeps you from doing what you believe you're supposed to do. The um, I, it's incredibly well said, because I talk as I talk to leaders around the world, a range of different companies. Yes, everybody has more on their plate than any human being could ever conceivably do, even at a sixty percent scale. And the distractiveness of our lives today is unbelievable with everything that's going on, and the complexity of the problems we're facing. But at the same time, the emotion people are experiencing is something we've always talked about, I don't know, for the last 40 years, but it's at a whole new level, I think. And it's hard to lead if you can't tackle your own emotional cycles, well-being, unhappiness, I mean, all of it that comes with a fear and anxiety, all of it. But you now have to tackle it for your staff or your team as well. Right. We've um, got to help them carry that load. Yeah. Again, if, if, if you don't get out of the quicksand, it, it's actually unbearable, which yeah. I believe is part of this great resignation. I know some people are putting a very positive spin on it, and it's people who have discovered their higher calling and higher purpose. And I think that's some of it. But I think a lot of people are just exhausted, and they've just said, I, I can't continue. Right. And, and that's one of the options when you find yourself in quicksand. It's just to it's give safe. up. But, but what happens is, is your hopes and your dreams and your vision are extinguished in that moment. And, and you know, we don't want any leaders to quit. We right, really right. Well, and you hate to see somebody who's invested so much in getting their career to a particular state and has had success in that career and has a long runway ahead of them to just stop and say, I right. can't take it anymore. I mean, right. you have to ask, what is it that we have done to people and organizations that leads them to the point of saying, I can't take it anymore. Well, it's interesting. We started down a path of trying to figure out what do we do to mitigate or eliminate these toxins? And we decided that that, that was futile, <laughs> that we wanted to focus on the leader and say, okay, what is it the leader can do? Because I mentioned that one option is to give up. There are only two other options. One is to swim in the quicksand. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what the majority of leaders do. The, there are two fundamental problems. We could talk about this during our whole time here, but there yeah. are two fundamental problems. One, it's not sustainable. It's yeah. actually exhausting mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so, so why do you want to do that? Right. And I don't know that leaders want to, but I think there's something hardwired inside us that says I'm a leader and I'm going to keep going and I know how to swim. I'm going to keep swimming. But but they've not acknowledged the circumstances and the reality in, in which they're trying to lead. Uh, the, the second option, you know, I mean, once you're in it and you say, I'm going to keep swimming, you're, you're not going to sustain that. But secondly, you're not going to lead well. Yeah. You, you, there are no gold medals ever been won by somebody <laughs> swimming in quicksand. Right. So you're never going to reach your full potential, which only leaves the option of you need to escape. And mm-hmm. so that's where we decided to focus our research as we encountered so many leaders. Again, I wouldn't have known this before we started, but once we jumped in and said, we're probably not going to eliminate business, we're probably not going to be able to successfully combat uh, distractions and competing priorities and lack of resources. So who are the men and women who seem to have developed the ability to get out and stay out. And that's where we shifted our focus. We said, we want to we want to help leaders escape the quicksand. We're not going to get rid of it. Great, great. I love that. I love the um, opening of the book, um, both the Indiana Jones metaphor and the movie about making a smart choice. I'll leave that to people to go figure it out themselves. And the metaphor of the quicksand that you've just been describing. And if you think about it, it does, it's an apt metaphor for what I think so many people are feeling about the jobs that they're doing. And just as you feel like you might get on top of one task, there's 15 more that are piled on and it's just, it's tread. And we've used the notion of treadmill and here we are in the middle of that. So you can stay with it. You can keep trying, you keep swimming and hope one day it gets better. We have a notion of grit, you know, that the winners are the ones that persevere. And I think that mythology kind of perpetuates the keep swimming, keep going. Right, right. You can give up, call it quits, I'm done. Or you can figure out how to escape. All right. So now I want to know how do you escape? What did you find? So give me an example of a leader you found in quicksand and tell us the story about it. Okay. Well, we we found a lot of leaders in quicksand. Uh, let me let me use a personal example because here here's the other thing I would say. Even leaders who make a habit of staying on the high ground may occasionally find themselves in quicksand, but the magic is they they get out get quick. Out. Yeah. And I can think about numerous times in my career when when I was in quicksand. And I would say that I was overwhelmed. I was not providing the leadership that I needed to provide. And when I've been able to escape, I I don't, I didn't have language because this has happened numerous times. I've been leading for a long, long time and, and I would scrape and claw. I'm reminded of the time um, when I was a kid, I was working on a swimming pool and I fell in head first in the deep end by myself. And I remember walking in the door back home. I was soaking wet. And my mom says, what happened? I said, I fell in. And she said, but you can't swim. And I said, well, maybe I can now. Right? <laughs> I mean, so I literally remember as I fell in that pool thinking I wanted to call for help and realized there was no one around mm-hmm. and I had to get myself out and I was able to scramble to the side and get out of the pool. So that was really my first swimming lesson. Yeah. Uh, crazy that I was working on pools and I couldn't swim, but you know, such is the life of a teenager. Um, so I think 
in as I look at it now, the story of me escaping the quicksand every time closely resembles that pool experience. And I didn't know how to get out. I just flailed and 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 groped and grasped until I was able to get out. Now that that we've done this work, again, my team worked for several years <laughs> studying these men and women who were excellent swimmers, to use my yeah. uh, swimming pool example. But again, they weren't the kind of swimmers that swam in quicksand. They were the kind of people that got out of the quicksand. And now I can tell you that I will go in the quicksand far less than I have in the first 40 years of my career because I understand now how to get out. And as you referenced, it hinges on choices. I think there's this myth out there that leadership efficacy is tied to skills. There is a skill component, but I know so many skilled leaders that are in quicksand. Mm -hmm. If you can't get out of the quicksand, you can't use your skills. And it's choices that get us out. And so that became the focus of our research. What are the choices that these leaders make? And if you'd like, I can give you a kind of a high level. Yeah, let's do that. And then we can take a deep dive. Go deep anywhere you want to go deep. Okay. All right. So you referenced in the intro about choices. The psychologists tell us that on average, we make 30 to 35,000 randomly and remotely conscious choices every day. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, We decided to focus on what we call smart choices. And these are choices that require a little more energy and a little more effort, but they yield a disproportionate return. Okay. And so good for all of us that we figured out that there are four of those. Think of them like uh, you've heard of the concept of keystone habits, a habit that creates a positive ripple effect. Right. Or mm-hmm. these are keystone choices. They're the first domino that has to fall for you to get out of quicksand. Okay. Therefore, the first is that smart leaders make the smart choice to confront reality. Okay. Only when you're grounded in truth can you lead from a position of strength. That's the first choice. We can talk more about it if you'd like. The second smart choice that all smart leaders make is they grow capacity. Now, that feels counterintuitive. I've talked to a lot of leaders that said, if I had capacity, I wouldn't be in this quicksand. Well, okay, maybe that's actually a true statement, which is why smart leaders grow capacity. We can can come back and talk about that. You've got to have sufficient capacity to meet the demands of the moment and the future. (laughs) You've got to have adequate capacity. You'll never rise to the challenge. The third smart choice every smart leader makes is to fuel curiosity. I've been asked much of my life, particularly the last 25 years, when I began to focus on this whole idea of leadership development, People have asked me in one way or another, is there a leadership fountain of youth? Mm -hmm. You know what I used to tell them? I hope so, because I'm looking for it myself. Well, now I can say with confidence that there is a leadership fountain of youth, and it's curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's curiosity. It's how you maintain relevance and vitality in a changing world. And again, there's strategies and tactics to support Mm -hmm. that choice as well. Fourth and finally, all smart leaders make the choice to create change. 
you actually have to make that choice. Because I know men and women who you could argue make those first three choices, but their impact is nowhere near what it could be. Because progress is always preceded by change. change. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to, to pull the trigger and, and do the, sometimes it's the hard thing. Sometimes it's, maybe it's not as hard as you think it is, but, but our job is to create change. So many leaders that I encounter, they think of change as a burden or an obstacle or an inconvenience. And it's like, I think they've lost the storyline that leaders are employed to move people from here to there and organizations from here to there. Change is at the essence of our job descriptions, right? right. But you have to choose to create change. Right. And that change is create change in yourself, not just change in everybody around you while you sit in your exact same spot and have the organization move around you. All right. So confront the choice to confront reality in all of its pros and cons, the choice to grow capacity, the choice to be curious. You said fuel curiosity. I'm going to say be curious and the choice to create change. Okay. Why tell, Why do you think these four are the secret sauce? I'm surprised that there's not more complex ones than that. They sound so simple on the surface. Well, here, here's what we, we always look for the, the, the simplicity on the other side of Fair life. Enough. It's yeah. easy. I mean, it took us years to figure this out. Okay. Hundreds of interviews, thousands of hours of desk research. Uh, the trick with, with this work or anything else is not to become simplistic. Yep, it's simple, but not simplistic. And and we worked really, really, really hard to, to knit all that together. I say that the leaders we spent time with, they, they created a tapestry. Mm-hmm. But for so long, I felt like we were looking at the back of it. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't quite make the picture clear. But we, as far as why these, um, yeah, that's a fantastic question. I don't, I don't know. I'm Great. thankful it's no harder than this. Now, <laughs> well, these are hard say, enough. Don't get me well, wrong. Let me quickly say, yeah, the, here's the trick with choices. They have to be activated, yeah. right? You actually have to do things. That's what's hard. It's not even hard for somebody to make a choice. I can choose to get fit. I can choose to lose weight. But the proof is in the morning. We're doing, you know, yeah, do yeah. I get up? The yeah. proof is tonight. How much dessert do I have after dinner? So, um, again, as, as simple as these are yeah. in, in concept and language, the challenge is in the activation. You're doing it. I agree with that. I totally agree with that one. You do. I didn't mean to put a totally question your research there. I was just curious no, with no, that one. It's a great All right. question. And yet I don't know that I've given enough thought to why do these work? Um, again, I, th- I think they're principle-based. I think truth is universal. I think... I think they're timeless. I think you can go back through history and see leaders that excelled over time, right? And if a leader falls, you might say, huh, which of these did that leader violate? And I think you can create some pretty interesting cases where a leader um, failed to confront reality or they were not curious about the future. They didn't grow capacity. 
so forth and so on. Right. Well, if I think about uh, resilience, so an awful lot of companies want to say, oh, we just need to hire more resilient people, as if we hired resilient people, that would solve the mess of the quicksand that you've already identified. But if you look at the research on resilience, and you say there's an awful lot of parallel between your four choices and what we know makes people more resilient. So for example, when you're in a really difficult situation, you have got to face the reality of how difficult that situation is. Not in a way that you become pessimistic, but in a way you say, this is the facts. Okay. So we can see that throughout all sorts of stories. You also have to think about building your network, expanding your ideas of what you could do. And often I think that's a parallel to your grow capacity. And the curiosity is, well, what will happen if I do this? What happens with that? And then the courage to actually take those actions. So I think you're for work because I think there are very parallels in all sorts of things in history. But now let me not talk. Let's go to the four. I get why confronting reality is important because we all know leaders who've denied that we were in a difficult situation until the financials were so bad that it looked like there was no way to recover from it. So we've all seen that. We don't want to go there. But there's that fine line between confronting reality and making people discouraged that they want to walk away. So how do you begin to think about how to confront the reality without getting up, uh, losing your optimism? Okay, so here, here's how I think I'd like to attack that. And if this doesn't feel productive, we can circle back. Go for it. These choices will not make you a leader. These choices are for women and men who are leaders. Mm-hmm. And they're stuck in quicksand. Mm-hmm. Right? So I've told people, if you want, if you want books on how to become a leader, I've written some of those. This is for leaders. So a leader has to understand their critical role in an organization. They have to understand the importance of vision and resilience and all these other things. They need to understand how to build teams, how to allocate resources, so forth and so on. Those are outside this world. Fair enough. Now, I will say specifically, though, some leaders who don't create change, to to link to your question specifically, because they don't have a preferred picture of the future, it's hard to get people to follow you somewhere that you don't know where you're going or you can't (laughs) articulate where you're going. So um, the best vision is always rooted in reality. If you're going on a trip, you need to know where you're starting from. Well, you certainly don't want to follow somebody that doesn't have a sense of where you're going. So I take fair enough that I take your point. There's a lot of things that we assume leaders have already figured out the vision, how to create followership, the optimism, the resilience, and a whole bunch of skills like that. All right. So assuming all those skills are in place, what is it that they need to be doing differently now in quicksand to confront reality? Are there particular things they need to focus on? Yeah. Let me give you one just because it's one of my personal favorites. So I am biased, Mm -hmm. Um, but I've seen it so many times. The best leaders don't try to confront reality alone because Uh, they often can't even see reality. So I encourage leaders to find fresh eyes. 
Uh-huh. It could be a personal board of directors. It could be a consultant. It could be a mentor. It could be a coach. I mean, I'm in a small group of 10 guys. We've been meeting for 23 years, twice a month to study leadership. They provide a real reality check for me and have for more than two decades. So don't try to do it alone. You'll you'll never fully um, understand your reality if if you don't get some help. Right, because you've already looked at it and tried to see everything you can see about it, or you wouldn't be the leader that you are. And so now it's recognizing what the situation is really about and getting somebody often to say, it's not the problem you think it is. It's actually quite a different problem. I see that all the time in coaching, that people are going down one line and then you go, wait wait a minute, the problem isn't that one. It's this other completely different one. Okay, so don't try to do it alone. Find fresh eyes and confront reality. Any other advice on this whole notion of confronting reality? Well, just start with yourself. I mean, our tendency is is to look at others and others have gaps and others have weaknesses. And you can you can be deceived very quickly into thinking the problem is out there. And surely that's often a contributing factor. But I think you've got to start by looking in the mirror. Okay. And then I would say you should look at your team. Um, John Maxwell said years ago that those closest to you will determine your level of success. So I'm not saying don't look at your team, but look at yourself first. Right. right. We often talk about that as I need to do my the work on myself, my inner work. And then I'm going to do some of the outer pieces as well. Look at the team. I find it amazing Um as I work with leaders, that they've assembled a team, they've worked really, really hard to bring all those teams together. They're very proud of the group that they've assembled, and they can't see the blind spots in the team. You know, and, and I, no doubt, it may be the best team they could assemble, but every team has a set of blind spots. Mm-hmm. And then and they those, just don't see it. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Those fresh eyes, th- those fresh eyes can look at you. Those fresh eyes can look at your team as well. Right. Okay. All right. So that's step number one is confront reality and get another perspective on where I am, like how deep the quicksand is, how wide it is, where the the land is, all of those kind of factors, if we stay with the metaphor. Now you say number two is to grow capacity. Now, every leader I know would say, yeah, you're right. If I didn't have, uh, if I had capacity, I wouldn't have gotten in the problem. One. And two, there's no money. And so I can't get extra resources. And that's what got me in the mess I'm in in the first place. So what's your answer to how we grow capacity? Well, I think there are any number of strategies that you can employ. Um, I mentioned a couple that are perhaps obvious, but your time and calendar. What are you doing with your time and calendar? Um, I mentioned, um, I talk about him often, Peter Drucker. 50 years ago, he said he had never met a knowledge worker, which is pretty much everybody that's going to be listening to this. If you go back and look at Peter Drucker's definition of a knowledge worker, those that have discretion and solve complex problems and on and on and on. He said he'd never met a knowledge worker that couldn't eliminate 25% of what was on their calendar without anyone noticing. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's true today or not, at a very rudimentary level, if you think about capacity, every 
every meeting you shorten or eliminate adds capacity mm-hmm. to your to your life and leadership. So that's kind of an obvious. Uh, another is structure. A lot of times capacity issues are structural problems. By definition, structure should lift and support. And if a leader is under a sustained period of stress, um, this is something a leader taught me years ago. It's like there may be a structural problem. So, so that, what, again, at least what do you mean by a structural back. problem? Well, maybe maybe you've got too much on your plate and your team doesn't have enough. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe you have a large body of work that doesn't have a leader that needs a leader or doesn't have a team that needs a team, and that work is is being moved to other people and ultimately ends up on your plate. So maybe you need people to help lift and do that work. Uh, your personal energy management. You can grow your capacity if you eat right, drink enough water, sleep enough, have recreation. Again, nobody's excited to hear any of that, but that grows personal capacity. I know leaders who know how to lead and they don't have the energy to lead. I challenge leaders all the time. You've got a plan for everything. What's your personal energy plan? Mm-hmm. Your personal energy management plan. So those are all, again, very pedestrian. Let me share with you, I think, the most controversial thing we put in the book. Uh, and it was one of our big, big insights. And it relates to this idea of growing capacity. The best leaders create margin. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think people don't like the idea of growing capacity, you start talking to them about margin and they look at you like you're a fool. And Think of it like a drowning person and you're standing on the dock saying, I've got coupons for swimming lessons. They don't want coupons for swimming lessons. They're saying, throw me a life ring. Well, here's what I would say. Margin might be your life ring. What we learned in our research, this this came up over and over and over and over. It was such a big deal. We almost made it one of the choices. It's been true for thousands of years. The best leaders create margin. There was a a study just came out of Harvard. I say just, it was a couple of years ago. They did a 12-year study of CEOs. Now, I'm not a CEO, but I know a lot of CEOs. And I would say, generally speaking, it's a pretty demanding role, no matter what size your enterprise is, being the the woman or man that's responsible for everything. The, The Harvard study found that CEOs, on average, spend 28% of their time alone in a work week. Wow. Well, I wonder what they're doing. Well, let me tell you what they're doing. Well, let me me back up half a step. I was explaining this to somebody and they said, look, I don't have time for a vacation. I said, (laughs) I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about margin as a leadership discipline. (laughs) I said, when do you purposefully have time on your calendar to reflect to assess, to think, to create, and to plan. Well, they didn't have it. I said, well, who's doing that? That's actually your job. So when you come back to the CEOs and go, what are they doing for 28% of their work week? I would argue they're reflecting, they're assessing, they're thinking, they're creating, and they're planning. Now, somebody will probably, one of your listeners will say, so is 28% the right answer? I have no idea what the right answer is for you. Here's what I would say, though. The bigger your dreams, the bigger your vision, the bigger your goals, the bigger your problems, and the bigger your challenges, 
the more time you need to reflect, to assess, to think, to create, and to plan. Margin is a huge, huge way to grow your capacity. And if you're in quicksand, the first thing you ought to reflect, assess, think, create, and plan around is how to get out. Okay. All right. Mark, I love that idea about margin. And you're right that no one wants to talk about margin because that sounds like you're being slack, like you don't have enough to do. Okay. At the same time, if you think about the things that just come up in the normal course of a week inside a company that a leader would need to address, somebody needs to be onboarded, some customer needs a response, um, an employee has a problem they'd like to speak to you about, or a career issue, or a, there's tons of things that just come up in the course of the day that it's your job as the leader to address. And if you have no margin, you can't even do that part of your job, let alone what you're talking about, which is the create, reflect, plan, assess, and you know, move forward, find, find right. a way to get out. Right. So the first thing I would so I agree with you at a conceptual level. A lot of things come up and, and our time is not our own as our leaders. I think you've got to have margin for that, for that. also. So, but those things are not a substitute for reflecting, assessing, thinking, <clears throat> creating, and planning. And I would also challenge leaders that many of those things that come up may not actually be your job. That's true. Now, you may be quick to jump in, but there's this phenomena that I'm seeing, maybe I've always seen it, but I'm no more uh, attuned to it now, is so many leaders get distracted and mm-hmm. they become confused and they think it's their job to do their team's job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's never your job to do their job. I had a leader just recently tell me that they had been working really hard with their team doing the work so their team would know they could lead. Yeah. And I said, all your team knows is that you know how to do their job. <laughs> they don't actually know that you know how to lead. Yeah. Yeah. But boy, do we define that backwards on way too many occasions? Mm-hmm. We see a leader is authentic. Often we will say, because the leader can do the job of every person on the team. To which case I would argue then, why did you need the team or why did you need the leader in that case? And leading is something different than that one. Okay, Mark, this is a perfect place to make a pause because that means when we come back from the break, we can talk about the last two components of the smart choices. So the notion here, just to recap real quickly, is that all of the things that are happening in our lives, in our business, in our world, um, lead us to very complex, messy, emotional-filled places that feel like quicksand. And we have choices in quicksand. One, you can give up, call it a day. Uh, Two, you can keep trying to tread water or tread uh, swim in quicksand and exhaust yourself, not be very effective. Or three, you can figure out how to escape. And the escape means three choices or four choices, excuse me. One is about confronting the reality, which is not doing it alone. And two is about growing capacity, which we've just been talking about creating margins. So you have time to think and reflect. And three and four have to do with curiosity and with change. We'll be right back to talk about those. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? 
For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Mark Miller, and the book we're talking about is Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. I just love this idea of finding yourself in quicksand because I think so many can relate to the idea of quicksand and what is it that leaders do to escape the quicksand and largely stay out of it. Four choices. We've talked about two of them, the need to confront reality, the need to grow capacity. As difficult as that sounds, I believe, as Mark does, that there's more ways to grow capacity than you believe. All right. So we can leave that as a challenge. And number three is about curiosity, Mark. All right, why fuel curiosity? How does that get us out of quicksand? Well, I think it, it gets out of quicksand because there, there's a very pragmatic side is that's where you get ideas. That's where you get insight. That's where you get input. But I think there's also the side, I believe it builds fellowship. When people see that you have a curious spirit, which implies some level of humility, I think it's you're more likely to gain fellowship if you're a curious leader. And beyond that, it's just been true of the best leaders throughout history. Remember, this was research-based. It just kept coming up. These men and women were the ones that had been able to escape and stay out of the quicksand. Right. I certainly believe that curiosity, I often use the word gentle curiosity, that gentle curiosity is good for everything. Um, people, different perspectives, a whole good of things. I'm with you, and I think it's consistent throughout history. But give me an example of how curiosity helps you get out of the quicksand. 
Well, I think curiosity implies an open-mindedness. And in many, many situations, the way forward is not the way you thought you were going to go. It's the route may need to change. The destination may need to change. Um, you know, in our organization, several years ago, um, our CEO, this was maybe even 10 years ago, he began to wonder what would happen if we built an app. And he was curious. And our IT people and our marketing people pretty much said fast food places don't use apps. And he said, yeah, but what would happen if we did? He said, let's give it a try. Now, that's different than me and you saying, let's give it a try. This is the CEO saying, let's give it a try. But he said, no, no, no. I think he was curious. There were no guarantees. During COVID, one of the things that enabled us to do as well as we did, I mean, certainly there were challenges and certainly there were hardships and our team in the restaurants, our restaurant operators and their employees did a fantastic job. But one reason we were able to do so well is we had an app that actually worked and people could order on the app and, and you know, do other things. Our dining rooms were closed, but we could do, we could do delivery and curbside and other things. So he was curious. He said, this might serve us in the future. Yeah. And in fact, he was right. Now, I'll quickly say when a leader is curious and and chases their intuition or chases a hunch, it won't always bear fruit. But that's that's part of the game, right? That's part of the challenge of trying to figure out which of those um, ideas are, are worth pursuing. That's true. That, that would be one example where curiosity actually paid huge dividends for us. I can see that. And I hear so many stories of curiosity about something in one moment in time that didn't work out. Roll forward four or five years, suddenly the thing we learned in that experiment becomes the thing that makes us successful in this mm-hmm. next phase that we hadn't anticipated or didn't know anything about. All right. So I can imagine if I'm in quicksand and I can't get any margin to think that finding the capacity to be curious is really difficult. So how do you help people become more curious, feel curiosity? I'm going to give you two quick strategies um, because of our time here, but I think both are self-evident when you hear it. Uh, There's a chapter in the book called Talk with Strangers, Mm -hmm. and it's really about Uh, the concept of a curiosity conversation. If if you'll talk to other people, you can learn a lot. And if you'll create the habit and the discipline, particularly talking to people outside your organization, potentially Mm -hmm. talking to people outside your industry. So again, I've got an entire chapter on that. But the more um, accessible idea may be ask, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. devoted an entire chapter in the book to the power of questions to, to fuel and spark curiosity. And not only does the leader learn, the men and women that you're talking to, they learn a lot. When somebody asks you a question, you've got to process it. You've got to think. And even if you don't know the answer, you just learn something. You learn that you don't know the answer to that question. There and we so are. I, think, I think questions are probably the most underrated tool that a leader has in in his or her toolbox. 
And again, it will it will fuel curiosity if you get in the habit of asking questions. Um, I agree with you that we tell way too much and we tell with the best of intent because we're going to instruct or advise or guide and that questions would get us a heck of a lot further down the path if we would get the habit of asking really good questions. And um, our good friend, Bob Tede has certainly given a tons of books around how to ask good questions, as have others as well. I think we every leader needs a powerful set of questions in their toolkit that they pull out and repurpose and repurpose and repurpose. So ask, don't tell. Now, do you have some favorite questions on this one that you'd like to throw out? I do. I do. Uh, and it, it really depends on the situation. It depends on the context, because obviously different questions have, they're, they're like tools. Sometimes you need right. a Phillips head screwdriver. Sometimes you need a flathead. Sometimes you need a big one. Sometimes you need a small one. But the question that I ask most often is specifically, what are we trying to accomplish? Or specifically, what am I trying to accomplish? Uh, on a good day, I ask that question all day long. I ask it before I send a text. I ask it before I send an email. I ask it in a meeting before every agenda item. Like, okay, why is this on the agenda? What are we trying to accomplish? Specifically, what are we trying to accomplish? That's that's one of my favorite um, go-to kind of multi-purpose questions that keeps me focused and uh, and on track. Um, again, I've, I've got a long list, but he- here's another one I like for strategic planning is what would we like to be true in a decade that's not true today? Mm. What would we like to have true in a decade? And I think that's good for us personally. I think it's good organizationally. I think it's true. It's a good question for our finances and our fitness and well-being. Elongates your perspective and I think can often inform your next steps. Yeah. Great questions. Specifically, what are we trying to accomplish? I'd ask that question over and over and over again, because I think you get better answers the more you ask it. And what would it like to be true in a decade that's not true today? Those are two of my favorites. Very good ones. All right. So we've talked about fuel curiosity. Now let's talk last about change. So we've already said that the leader's job is to create change, that if you're not creating change, you're not moving the organization and people from point A to point B, that's inherent in the job. Um, but what is it we need to be doing in this change that's really getting us out of quicksand? Again, I'll give you a couple of quick things. First, you have to acknowledge that it's a choice and change begins with a choice. And I referenced earlier, some aren't making that choice for any number of reasons. Sometimes they don't have a preferred picture of the future, which is which is a problem. That might be something you need to do in that margin time. Yeah. Just to figure out what is that preferred picture of the future. Some leaders don't create change because they don't believe they can. Um, That's a real thorny problem because that'd be like a major league pitcher that they don't think they can throw strikes. It's going to be real hard to do your job if you don't think you can create change. So, again, this is a psychological challenge whether the person has an internal or an external locus of control. Leaders that believe they are victims and everything is done to them are going to have a really, really hard time leading. And so in the book, we talk about if you have that tendency to have that external locus of control, what are some things you can do to begin to shift that? But we'll move on for the sake of time. Uh, One, I would say, is to use the tools you've already got when you ask, what do you need to do? 
I'm all about continuing education. I'm all about lifelong learning. I'm all about leadership development. But most leaders have all they need to create change. You've got vision. You've got teams. You've got accountability. You've got measurement. You've got recognition. You've got all kind of problem-solving techniques that you can deploy. Uh, there are any number of tools that we've already got. And, and an interesting thing about the tool there's latent power in a tool, but it's only realized when someone picks it up and puts it to work. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you've, you've got to take all of these things that are already at your disposal and you've got to put them to work. And I guess my last thought as far as what leaders can do is work really, really hard to keep the, the, the goal, the object, the destination as clear as possible. Which one reason I love that question I mentioned earlier, specifically, what are we trying to accomplish? If you're trying to change broadly in ill-defined ways, you will get broad and ill-defined results. So I challenge leaders, pinpoint the problems you're trying to solve. Pinpoint the changes that you're trying to make. Clarity is, is one of a leader's best friends, particularly when you're talking about creating change. Right. Clarity so people understand what it is and what it isn't. Clarity so that can be communicated. Clarity that you can get more people on board with it. I think there's, I think you're right about that one. And, you know, we always talk about the power of rallying a team behind a common goal. But I think we often underestimate the importance of that. And I like your phrasing destination. We're trying to get something done or get to a place or to achieve a future state and getting that really insight so everybody understands what that looks like, um, I think is, is way rarely used as effectively as it could be used. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and, and in many, many cases, that destination, it's just a mile marker because yeah. there's going to be another destination. But, but, but you need to get to this one before you can get to that. Exactly. Each one creates new options for you that you didn't have before. And it's, the, exactly. and as I like to say, it's the journey that's the interesting part at any rate. So let's get to that destination and see where we are from that one. All right, Mark, two minutes. My favorite closing question for you, I have to ask this question. What takes you out of your comfort zone? And how do you survive it when you're in your com- out of your comfort zone? I'm out of my comfort zone when I'm in quicksand. Now, I don't know that I would have given you that answer five years ago, but looking back, I think it's always (laughs) been true. I didn't have language for it. It's like anytime I feel like, or in the past have felt like I'm not leading to my full potential. I'm not leading at the level I want to lead, man, I am so uncomfortable with that. Uh, and so I want to I want to stay out of the quicksand. The last thing I'll say about that, though, is I then often find myself uncomfortable again, uh-huh. even if it's not a derivative of the quicksand. And a good friend of mine challenged me long ago. He said, well, he said, if you're really going to lead to your full potential, he said, yes, yes, yes. You've got to get out of the quicksand. But he said, you've also got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> Because are you are you stretching? Are you growing? Are you challenging yourself and others? He said, "I'm not sure you're ever going to get comfortable with that." 
And I think that's probably a pretty good word. Fair enough. Because if you're too comfortable, you're not growing, you're not fueling the curiosity, you're not doing all the things that we have just talked about today, too. Yeah. Okay. Mark, wonderful conversation. Uh, my guest today is Mark Miller. The book that we've been talking about is Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. And what I think is so wonderful about this, it's not a leadership toolkit, as you so rightly said. This is not all the tools that you would have learned in business school or in any variety of training programs like problem solving or building teams or so on. This assumes you know how to do this. And when you find your head underwater or, you know, kind of barely staying above water or in quicksand or exhausted, what are the choices you need to make to get yourself out of that quicksand? Smart choices. So, and again, to repeat, it's about confronting reality, which you can't do alone. Get some other people to help you. Two is about growing capacity. Your capacity and most important piece of advice is margin. Fueling curiosity, because that's where your ideas are going to come from, and ask those questions, and then create change. The courage to take those change one step, keep a destiny in mind. Mark, great conversation. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. And if you like the ideas you've heard today, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.